You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to this season of Everything Belongs. It's been such a treat for Mike and I and Corey to be in these conversations with Richard and also with our many incredible guests that we've been dialoguing with on Richard's book, Falling Upward. And there is a voice that we realize is missing is we really want to hear from you. What questions, what ruminations, what thoughts might you have after listening and engaging with Falling Upward and all these conversation partners? We would love to hear how it's hitting you and anything that might be arising in you that you think would be helpful to ask Richard. So if you have a question or a comment or something you would like us to reflect on as we wrap up the season, you can email us at podcasts at cac.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at C-A-C.org or send us a voicemail, C-A-C.org forward slash voicemail. And that is also in the show notes. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, everybody. There was a kid from Kansas that had a mystical experience under a Christmas tree. And through over 50 years of teaching and 50 books to his name, he would spend the rest of his life trying to show us that everyone and everything belongs. Now, in the sunset of his life, in his 80th year, with the world rapidly changing, Richard is fond of quoting St. Francis and saying, I have done what was mine to do. Now you must do what is yours to do. So here we are as our beloved teacher, Father Richard Rohr, is stepping back and we're sitting with these massive questions. If everything belongs, why does it have to hurt so bad? If everything belongs, why does the world seem so unjust sometimes? And what is our responsibility to help create a more just and loving reality where everyone really does belong? How do we live these teachings forward and apply them in an ever-evolving and increasingly messy world? In the coming seasons, we'll be moving through Richard's major books and teachings. But in this introductory season, we'll be setting the stage by focusing on guideposts for living the teachings forward. We'll introduce you to our expanding community and explore how together we are all striving to co-create a world where everyone and everything might actually belong. But first, today, we'll begin by paying Richard a visit. In planning this first season of the Everything Belongs podcast, We went through quite a few iterations. Each shift was a move in the right direction. Even as we suspected, we hadn't quite discovered the right destination. That is when it clicked in. How can this podcast reflect and form what Richard reflects in his teachings? It is not about right destination, but right direction. It is not about perfect articulation, but authentic, humble, and purposeful seeking. We decided the best way to begin Everything Belongs was to open the front door of the Center for Action and Contemplation and invite all of you in on the direction that the CAC is headed. We begin with Father Richard Rohr. Like the rest of the world, the global pandemic changed how Richard taught and moved about his days. And like many organizations, all of us at the CAC began to work remotely. Once it became safe during the pandemic to do so, Mike and I began meeting with Richard weekly at his hermitage. We would first be greeted by his dog, Opie, and then by Richard's laughter, 
at Opie's relentless pursuit of getting yet another treat from Mike. Mike and I would settle in on the couch, and Richard in his recliner, soon to be joined by Opie on his lap. Seeing Richard, this internationally recognized spiritual teacher and author, at 80 years old, contently reclining with his dog, snuggling tight, it would be an understatement to say that he looks more relaxed. Of course, he says he is just leaning into his Enneagram 9 wing. But being around Richard these past few years, we have seen him ease into a transition of being. He has been releasing many of his active duties at the Center for Action and Contemplation, at the local parish, and in the living school. As he has released these duties, a new spaciousness has opened up. He still wistfully engages with interest on our personal lives, raises doubts and spiritual matters worth ruminating on, and is clear-eyed about injustices and woundings in our world. But his laugh is quicker, and his ears are more perked to listen a little more acutely to the subtle winds of the spirit. If Richard hears these words, he'll say, Oh, stop it. And I will. Because Richard's gift is teaching. And he knows the best way to honor any teaching is not to put a teacher on a pedestal. They'll just fall off anyway. But to embody the truth of the teachings and live them forward as only you can in the unique context of your own daily life. We are inviting you to take a seat with us on Richard's couch in his hermitage, to hear the echoing church bells nearby, to listen to Opie's chortles as his eyes flutter towards sleep, to catch up with Richard on what the past few years have been like for him in this season of transition, the gifts and trials, and the directions unfolding before him. And as you can imagine, before any of us can spit out a word, Richard's eyes will get big with excitement and he'll ask us, well, what should we talk about today? From the Center for Action and Contemplation, I'm Mike Petro. I'm Paul Swanson. And this is Everything Belongs. So Richard, we're very excited that not too long ago you turned 80. How does it feel to be a newly minted octogenarian? You know, 80 is an age you never think you'll live to. So I'm still in the surprise days. I'm 80. Uh, (laughs) And with the recent health scares, I doubly didn't think I would make it to this. So it feels good. Unearned gift, Uh, mysterious gift. I don't even know why that's true, because I never prayed for a long life. I never expected a long life, but it seems like, what does the Psalm say? 70 years, we live 70 years or 80 if we are strong. Well, I'm not strong, but I'm 80, so. (laughs) (laughs) How did you celebrate your 80th birthday? What does one do to celebrate? Two men on the, well, on the staff or helpers at the center uh, took me for a boat trip, boat trip, road trip, excuse me, took me on a road trip uh, through Southern California. It initially started that we were going to make a contemplative retreat at the Big Sur Monastery. Then the storm closed it down, so we couldn't go there. 
and we just made, we found out how many friends we had in, in Southern California. It was just a delight. And my birthday hardly mattered. It was just, every day was more fun than the next. Uh, so it was traveling in a car with good mileage, so it didn't cost too much. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Prius. Yeah, I got to throw that in. Yeah, there, right? I had to let you know. So, Richard, I think a lot of the folks who are listening would love to know, in your 80th year, what does a typical day in the life of Richard Rohr look like when you're not out having adventures on road trips? <laughs> well, I wake up around 6, naturally. Uh, Opie has learned my schedule now. If I don't start stirring to get up, he taps me. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to get up. Uh, I make coffee, and then I sit here and drink my coffee and gaze <clears throat> out the window. Uh, usually I'm opening the blinds around then. Then uh, after about uh, 45 minutes, Eli drops by, and he makes breakfast for both of us. So that's always delightful. Nothing fancy, just little fruit and protein. And then uh, I lead the center at prayer at 8.30. Mm -hmm. I don't lead. I mean, I attend. I lead one day. So, But every day is different. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I like about my life. There's no, nothing boring. It's always different each day. Like you guys coming here today. It's different. Well, this is probably the highlight of the, the highlight, highlight of, the week. Yeah. <laughs> of the year. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, that's great. What what really brings you joy? What brings fun and happiness into your day? What brings fun and happiness? When I'm not urgent, when I'm not under a deadline, which most of my life was, and now I'm enjoying so-called retirement where I don't have many deadlines. And when I take advantage of that, see what the ego could do is create deadlines that aren't even needed. Like today, I said, those three guys are going to come today and I better clean up the house because I know they'll criticize oh, it. Yeah. So are you still waiting to clean it up? <laughs> <laughs> so I create little deadlines. But uh, when there isn't, and I can really gaze, and uh, gazing and praying and thinking are all the same thing now. Yeah. Just, I think that's been the most interesting thing probably for us getting to be in conversation with you in the last few years is listening to you talk about your spiritual practice and how important gazing has become. Would you say a little bit more about that? Oh, sure. Uh, I realized that when my best prayer happened, and that's the best way to say it, I didn't do it, it happened, I was usually in the midst of a gaze, a sustained gaze. And I learned, you probably heard me, to distinguish the gaze from glaring, mm -hmm. which is when I look at something judgmentally. Like us. 
<laughs> like you two, yes, you're getting a big glare. <laughs> or uh, what was the other G I used? Glancing. 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 Just uh, a non-caring looking at everything like you do from the window of a car as you're driving along. Much of our life is glaring and glancing, mm. but not gazing. Mm. And that just, in a moment, it, be, it became clear in my backyard here underneath the cottonwood tree. And just sitting there gazing, no one to glare at, mm. nothing passing by to glance at. Mm. I, could, I could enjoy a sustained gaze. And I just want to teach that to as many people as I can before I pass. So they'll know that prayer is something, well, no, it is essentially religious. But it is what we think of yeah. as religious. God always gets into such moments, but you don't always call it God. You just call it contentment, happiness, freedom, joy, and I think that's how God shows God's self. Hmm. And that's so different than the way I was raised. It was all through moralisms. Mm -hmm. Really. That God showed himself through what he was demanding of you each minute. Yeah. It was a moral matter, not a mystical matter. And now, why did it take my whole life to fully understand that it's it's all about how you see and how you enjoy, how you take it in, not what moral commandment are you following. Where you always fall short, by the way, because you'll, you'll think of a commandment that you're not fulfilling. Excuse me. I appreciate that so much for me because, you know, my practice, I'm closing my eyes, and so often I've thought mm. of... of practices trying to shut the world out and your teaching on gazing has been really really insightful oh good um, eyes wide open yeah not eyes closed shut yeah that's, that's a different kind of prayer you were saying it's an evolution at this yeah part of your life just the sim simplicity and the clarity of that realization i'm sure i was growing in it yeah but now it's so simple and so clear and so true that I know I don't have to prove this to people. I can't prove it to I just invite them, do it, and you'll see, you'll know what you need, whatever it is you need to know. Is it the kind of thing where, for those of us who are not yet 80, but might have to have that sense that this is a part of the, part of the path down the road or to try to practice it now to incorporate in our current position in life, or is that something to look forward to? How do you imagine teaching that to those, uh, to others who are still forming their own, unpacking, unfolding spiritual journey? You know, I mean, you're two young men. The fact that you've already responded to that tells me you're on the path already, or it wouldn't have spoken to you. Mm -hmm. You've seen that it's true. But great things can only be understood gradually in, in gradation. Uh, 
you don't you don't get anything great all at once. You can't absorb it. And so this wonderful gift of time allows you to, oh, I thought I knew that, but I I didn't till just now. <laughs> it feels like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so I appreciate that so much. And you Good. we've talked about this. The you're really literally talking about gazing, opening my eyes to see that contemplation is deep listening and not deep ignoring and and deep it literally is the long loving look good the phraseology michael good i want to ask you talked about the gift of time and you know for years i imagine your whole life you've been involved in the rhythm of the church saying mass oh. doing the hours what has it been like to now not be offering homilies not be uh going to the church to do the the liturgy every day well, because of my Enneagram One, I'm sorry to say, I first of all feel guilt. Uh, You're not a real priest anymore. You don't say mass. You don't. You don't wear the garb very much. Uh, so it's first a feeling of am I kidding myself? And I've just created a nice little life for myself mm. in this beautiful little hut, which is much more than a hut. But uh, so it's first of all, sh fear that I'm fooling myself and making life too easy for myself. After that, it's wonderful. If I could, <laughs> if I could get through the guilt. Yeah. The one always has to get through the guilt. You used to think you were a one, didn't you? Oh, that's right. He, you're not supposed to be in the room. <laughs> Corey's not here. Pay no Corey attention is not to here. <laughs> this happens on talk shows where they talk to the cameraman and no one knows who they're talking yeah. to. <laughs> I uh, did I answer your question, Michael? Yeah, sorta. it's I love I love that notion. Um, well, and I, I love your honesty, you know, I, I, for you to talk about the gift of time and then also say, and still I have guilt. How do you, how do you wrestle with the guilt and let it go? Well, that has become easier and easier. You know, that phrase struck me recently in Merton, the brutalities of our own will. He used words so yeah. well. And I realized as a young man, I think my will was brutal. It just, you may not do that. It, it, it was harsh. It was stern. It was, wasn't the voice of God. It was the voice of my German culture and seminary training and temperament. Uh, too much will makes you brutal. We see this in... I won't mention names, but some of the reformers <laughs> and some of the saints yeah. were just so brutal in their judgments of everything. And you said, God, I wouldn't like to live with him because <laughs> it would be like living with my old self. And I had enough of that. It didn't make me kind. It didn't make me happy. I wonder if I smiled much. They said I did. They said I was always happy. I'm glad to hear that because 
I wasn't feeling that always inside. But now I feel it. Yeah. And that, that pause in your priestly duties was during the pandemic. Is that correct? Like, that's well, when... it, you're right. It coincided because the bishop here said men over 75 should not function as priests anymore because the sacraments are too tactile. Mm -hmm. You're always touching the people. And that was a great insight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was out immediately. It wasn't a matter of choice. It was... This is one of the good things about Catholic hierarchy. Yeah. When they give a good order, <laughs> it takes away all, oh, okay, I'll just obey the order. Uh, you got the senior discount. So, <laughs> it's like a senior discount. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> yeah. When you're ordered to do something, then you, you sort of like it. <laughs> yeah. Everything Belongs will continue in a moment. Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. Explore art as a spiritual practice in the next issue of Wanting, the biannual journal from the Center for Action and Contemplation. Wanting, Art and Spirituality features images and reflections from leading actors and musicians, including Scott Avett, Josh Radner, Lourdes Bernard, and more. Get your copy today at cac.org slash wanningart. That's cac.org slash O-N-E-I-N-G-A-R-T. Have you taken an online course with the Center for Action and Contemplation? Explore the intersection of ancient wisdom and Jesus' teachings in The Divine Exchange, an online course featuring Cynthia Bourgeau. Fully embrace divine interaction each day, starting June 16th. Register today at cac.org slash online dash ed. That's cac.org slash O-N-L-I-N-E dash E-D. The pandemic holds a unique spot in all of our lives, as it is a rare, shared, global experience. The losses and silver linings are as diverse as they are real. From here, a through line of gratitude, appreciation, and reflection of the essentials of life carry us forward. In this tone and tenor, we continue with our conversation at Richard's Hermitage. Who are your peers these days? Who are you hanging out with? What friends uh, bring you life uh, and light you, know, you up? Two right just now? came from Cincinnati, mm -hmm. New Jerusalem last week. We went on a little road trip to Acoma, nice. where I first was assigned. Uh, John Quigley is coming out next month. Uh, my old friends are all in other cities or Cincinnati, you're my new friends, mm -hmm. you young ones here at CAC. Uh, 
but I don't have a lot of a lot of peers in Albuquerque. I don't know why. It's probably my own fault. But I wasn't building friendships. I was trying to avoid one more relationship, one more relationship. And there was some selfishness in that too. But I kept a lot of people in those 40 some years that I was on the road, including my first years out here. I tried to limit friendships just for survival. I didn't know how I could be intimate, honest, truly friendly with that many people. And I go to a new city back to Cleveland or Oakland and you'd meet friends that you met years ago and that was always enough. You just have to have some intimate friendships in your life, but they don't have to be on a daily basis. They really don't. Speaking of friends in other cities, and speaking of the gift of time, it sounds like you've been traveling a bunch, or at least a bit, right? You've been able no, to get out and take a road trip to Akala. These little road trips are wonderful. Now that I don't go on planes hardly at all, mm-hmm. uh, I enjoy a road trip with someone that I could talk to. Mm. They do the driving, mm-hmm. and... Uh, I do the talking. <laughs> well, I mean, with them. I hope I don't monologue. But uh, yeah. It's that road tripping with Roar podcast yeah. coming soon. I enjoy it very much. Yeah. That's fantastic. What is it about traveling that, that continues to spark you, animate you uh, as you step away from more public duties? I suppose it's a need to keep my world big and not get too tiny in the world of Albuquerque, CAC, New Mexico, this little house. Uh, I love it, I love it. But uh, if I let this become the parameters of my mind, um, or the issues at CAC, the issues, I'll just become cranky, (laughs) I think. Maybe I already am, I hope not. Uh, Yeah, I was lucky to live most of my life in a much larger world. And now I hesitate to make it small again. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's a good center, but maybe not a great circumference. So you can get out and out and about. That's cool. Thank you, thank you, yeah. That's delightful. Um, I I think probably the things people really want to know, Richard. What? Two things I think people really want to know. Uh, first and foremost, are you writing anything? Well, that's funny you'd ask. <laughs> <laughs> just this morning, I wrote a chapter on Amos the prophet, mm. and it just flowed out. I was so grateful. It just came like it used to. Uh, now, I, I had spent a few days in the last week reading Amos, mm. So getting a sense of his message, one of the and more. he proves the point I want to make. He doesn't become loving and compassionate till the last chapter. Mm. It's like again and again. They start off angry old men, you know, yelling at everybody. Now here's the thing I've got to reconcile yeah. to write the book well. 
Their anger is deserved. Mm. But it's ruining them. You know, you just, and that's why I think most people close the book on the prophets. Who wants to be yelled at all the time? But what they're yelling about, especially Amos, boy, is it deserved. You know, he does have nice things to say about rich old ladies who are are demanding of other people and rich old priests who are uh, uh, not really obeying the law themselves. uh, He's an outsider. He's a poor herdsman who sees how the inside of the church, the synagogue in his case, and the government that was really operating. So he's a classic prophet. He has this bias from the bottom, an outsider who isn't an establishment person who has the freedom to see it. First, like most of us, you just get mad at it. Those hypocrites. And he, you know, unrolls that through most of the book, even though the issues he raises are very true. But finally, he's... He's moved from anger to love. And that's when he's a full prophet. Mm. So that's the point I want to try to make from as many prophets as I can. But you got to wait till the end of the book, usually. <laughs> so the movement is from anger to love. That's fascinating. You know, you just said they start out as angry old men. It's angry almost like they're men. aging backwards. Oh, wow. That's anger to love is the movement? Well, the way I'm saying it in the book is a little more subtle than that, which you as a four will understand. Sure. It's anger to tears. Oh, wow. I start with a a Latin phrase, lacrime rerum. Have you ever heard that phrase? No. It's quoted in history and literature and Shakespeare, and I think in Shakespeare. Lacrime rerum. Our professor went on and on about, of course, he was a four, Father Lucian. And uh, lacrime rerum means the tears of everything. Wow. Things have tears and things call forth tears. Wow. Oh, it's, it's a rich concept. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's been quoted and requoted throughout history. It was just quoted, oh, by, not surprisingly, uh, Pope Francis. He was he quoted, Lacrimae Rerum, the, uh, the world today demands tears. Yeah. Wow. So part of what you're saying is that one does not, a prophet does not come into their fullness until they've, uh-huh. they've recognized the tears within and speak out to, to the injustice that's causing those tears, but also the tears of the world are having an impact on those prophets. And finally soften them. Yes. Now what I got to do and pray that I can do it is hold on to the the truth of the anger. Yeah. Well, that was our daily med. It's my daily meditation today too, in fact. Uh, The truth of the anger, but the danger of the anger. Mm -hmm. What is it true about the anger? It's your apathia. When you when you let it control you, you're not a help anymore. And that's why we have so many false prophets in America today, in the world today, 
or angry, angry, and you want to sit there and say, I agree with you, I agree with you, that deserves anger, but you're not a good messenger of it because mm. you're just making me more angry. You're feeding it yeah. Has, by, by uh, letting it become your ego. Mm. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, ahead. no, no. I didn't mean to, I don't want to cut you off. I was going to ask about this pattern of the prof that you are noticing, this kind of like Benjamin Button of like going in re reverse. Have you seen that That's pattern good. in your own life? This sense of... Well, of course. Yeah. That's me. I mean, I listen to my early social justice sermons at New Jerusalem. Some of them just <laughs> edged out of the room. I don't think we <laughs> want to hear Richard today. He's on one of his tirades. Uh, but then they saw me come back from Latin America and Africa angry. And, uh, and I... I do. I think it's autobiographical, what I'm seeing in the prophets. But I think I can make it evident from the text that it's not just autobiographical. Because, uh, yeah, anger just distorts everything. It, it makes you egocentric because it's my anger, my deserved anger my right to this anger. In fact, I'm on higher moral ground than you are because I feel it. And you don't, you slobby, bourgeois, <laughs> middle-class Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> and this connects to what you were saying this morning about anger and like a right relationship with anger. Right. Do you want to just, because Richard's mentioned apathia and like sure. the yeah. teaching you gave Same. this morning. How sure. does that integrate into this? Sure. So apathia is, it's a concept that comes out of uh, early Christian contemplative teaching. And it is, it sounds like the word apathy. Apathy. But it's not. It's, it's not. It's no. not caring about what doesn't matter so that you can That's care about what does. That's such a good definition. Yeah. Thank you. So good. We just got to make you a teacher. I'll just... <laughs> Wave out, uh, and you could wave in. I'm just content to point people to your stuff, Richard. It, it, it's um, it's such a gift in that when we think about strong emotions too, apathia is not not feeling things. It's not freedom from emotions. No. It's emotional freedom. It's letting our emotions be our teachers and our instructors without letting them utterly consume us. And the last thing we talked about was how one of our other teachers at the center, Jim Finley, talks about anger and he says, so often we're trained to think that anger is violence or anger is revenge or anger is bad. When in reality, anger is a message, it's wisdom that a boundary has been violated and that it's fuel to restore the boundary, which lines up with what you're saying about the path yeah. of the prophet. That's really, really profound. Here's where we really conflicted most Jews and Christians. We largely presented God as an angry person. Yeah. This is a major conflict. Yeah. Well, if God could be angry, in fact, we were, you know, I heard a woman yesterday we're on TV. She says, I'm a God-fearing person. Yeah. And I just thought, no. What made her use that phrase? Yeah. She's afraid of God and this is a, a virtue. God-fearing is a phrase people do use mm -hmm. to mean a good person. You got to be afraid of God before you can be good. Mm -hmm. This distorts our entire moral system. 
I can't. And that's not an overstatement. Well, it's interesting because I, there was a point where, especially when I would read the Hebrew Bible, the emotions of God scared me and bothered me a lot. Uh. And I've come to a point, and this is a very Enneagram 4 thing, where I love reading about a d- divinity that expresses itself through emotions. That's mm. very liberating to me. But being stuck in anger, that's a particular thing. Do yeah. you think it's because we are in that first part of the path of the prophet where because we're angry, all we can see is anger in the divine? Or it was written that's from that That's part place? of the truth right okay. there. But the other thing that I'd want to say is, uh, now I had it and I just lost it. Uh, <laughs> this is what's been liberating for me about your teaching on the path of the prophet is because it starts with the acknowledgement that there should be anger at injustice. There, that, that was the point. That the moral problem is that so many people don't feel anger yeah. mm-hmm. at the homelessness in in San Francisco in every rich city. Yeah. The richer the city, the more homeless people it has, mm. at least if it has a nice climate. But uh, so how can we validate necessary anger mm. and yet not use that as an excuse to remain, for it to become narcissistic anger? I'll pray that I can find some clarifying phrases because we've got to get that clear. When you talk about in some of your writing and when you talk about the path of the prophet, the movement from anger to sadness, you said something one time where you said, anger is often disguised Sadness. Oh, wow. And that, that was my big line on Grief Day. Oh, blew my mind. When, when you, did they still use it on the Rites of Oh, passage? I haven't done the Rites of Passage yet, yeah. Well, that's why you're not initiated. No. That's why you're so boyish. It's true. <laughs> someday someday I'll become a man at the MROP. Yeah. Anger is disguised sadness? My whole, I, uh, I thought I gave a fairly good talk on Grief Day. But the high point was when it would build up to that. Mm-hmm. Do you know most of you think you're angry men, but you're not really angry, you're just sad. Mm. And I just stop. And mm. They'd just be glaring with open eyes because they knew that was true. But no one ever told him that. And a lot of men are very sad. A lot of men. Yeah. Well, and I, <clears throat> I think about even the work we do for activism or even to kind of speak out against injustice or even to help people heal requires us to feel so much sadness. And I sometimes think as a society, we're not taught how to do that. So it is easier to stay in anger right. at this particular moment. In Very time. good. Right. The joyful activist is a rare breed. Mm. Say it. The joyful activist is a rare breed. It's rare. Those who engage in playful, yeah. joyful, mm. direct action or systemic action, but does it with a sense of even that apathy, that stability mm. from a place of, mm. uh, of inner stillness. Um, I do want to ask you about something that uh, I would imagine brings you joy and no sadness is uh, your new friend Opie. Oh. And there's there a lot of folks who haven't met Opie. Laying in his anxiety bed. <laughs> <laughs> Opie, we're going to talk about you. Open your little eyes there. 
Looks pretty at peace to me. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. Well, what can you tell us about Opie? Who is Opie? And uh... Opie is a dog I got at the rescue. Uh, I assume he's about four or five now. Uh, he's a Jack Russell Terrier mix. He is a purebred. Sorry, I hope that doesn't insult you, Opie, but you're not purebred. <laughs> <laughs> You're a mutt, but we love you. Yeah, well, he opened his eye and looked at me. <laughs> he gives me so much joy. He just, when I'm really taking myself too seriously, I look at any animal, mm. not just him, yeah. but he's the concrete one. An animal takes me out of my human exaggerations and uh, human everything to to legitimate my basic animal nature which used to be a put down mm. i remember in minor seminary before vatican mm. ii you know they're just animals those people are just animals and I remember when I learned that anima means soul. Mm -hmm. So to call someone an animal is to mean they're ensouled. Yeah. You know? This is not an insult. Uh, and they carry their soul much purer than we do. Because yeah. we're all complicated with image and success and our looks and our health. But he just takes every day as it comes. He would change everything in the middle of the night if I wanted to get up at three o'clock. Let's go. <laughs> Wherever you are, I want to be. Oh, Isn't that how we should relate to God? Wherever you are, I want to be. Well, Opie is that way with me. That's delightful. No. That is delightful. The last 10 years of your life have been a pretty incredible journey. Just thinking about the living school started 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah. You know, your universal Christ, you know, Falling Upward came about 10 years ago. The, to, to Universal Crisis came out not that long ago. Um, you've hung out with the Pope. You know, you've, who was elected 10 years ago. Who was elected 10 wow. years ago. Um, and then you've gradually released some of your active duties at the CAC. Are there any words or images that come to mind as a way to describe this arc in your life from 70 to 80 so through many. all these kind of transitions and 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 growth opportunities. The more I like people, the more I tease them. <laughs> and I think it reflects just, I realized so much that I worried about in my younger years. Is it worth all that worry? Mm. I'm much more lighthearted. Mm. Just see the humor in everything. The silliness of everything. Yeah. It's all so silly. Why, <laughs> why, do we, why do we get upset about it? Uh, when it's going to change mm -hmm. next month. And it's my only outlet uh, from our terrible politics, mm -hmm. our terrible treatment of the earth. If I concentrate on it, I'm in trouble. So I've got to, here's the same issue again. I've got to know it. 
I watched two wonderful shows yesterday on people trying to save the earth. And it was so beautiful. These smart people. It's really making me appreciate science. Scientists are searching for truth to save this planet, to catch carbon, for example. <clears throat> and I used to look to clergymen for great truth. These two shows I saw yesterday, right now I think I'm going to look to scientists for great truth. Because <laughs> yeah. they are intent on finding, you know, how to catch carbon. Yeah. yeah. And the creative ways, there was a whole hour yeah. on catching carbon. How can we bury it? How can we? Uh, it was just the, the, and most of all of them that I can remember were happy people because yeah. they were doing something that was going to make a difference for humanity. In my opinion, they were loving God by loving reality mm. as it is and loving humanity, we want to help the next generation. Yeah. They kept saying, I don't want my kids to grow up knowing what I know yeah. about what we've done to this planet. That's, I appreciate that. It's really beautiful. It's I, real for me right now. I just, yeah. I, I will take scientific truth, forgive me, over most clergy truth. Mm. Well, and I appreciate too that looking at reality comes with responsibility, right? Oh, if we see what's good. really there. I really, I, I appreciate that, Richard. That's yeah. beautiful. That's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, well, these people were, they were mostly middle-aged, mm -hmm. but taking responsibility, not just complaining about the rich or oil, but here's the situation, here are the numbers, what are we going to do about yeah. it? And they're finding things to do about it. Wow. Uh, I'm not smart enough to repeat the science to you, but it was very impressive mm -hmm. that you can capture carbon yeah. and shoot it down into the earth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they showed pictures of it being shot down. It, we've only begun to undo the damage of the last hundred years, but everybody's starting at a different place and learning to save the earth. Yeah. Well, what do we call Jesus? The savior of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, the savior of the world is taking on a different character right now because it really needs saving. Yeah. I remember young people say to me when I was first ordained, well, I don't know why I need saving. And I sort of had to agree with them. They, they seem like okay people. <laughs> you know? What am I being saved from? We just weren't sure we needed saving. Yeah. But the earth, if you're looking, you yeah. can't deny it. What a metaphor, too, of just the, oh. the sins of the fathers and of the present ah, that have gone yes. out into the, the carbon. Yes. And now we have to deal with that regardless of how you contribute to it or not. It's now our problem and also future generations. How do we yeah. be responsible to the, and for the goodness of the earth, for the goodness yeah. of one another? and not be uh, like, well, I'm out of here before this is going to really before, yeah. hit us. But sincerely care about your children and grandchildren. Yeah. This phrase is probably being overused now, but I hear it on a new level. We're tired of thoughts and prayers. Thoughts yeah. and prayers. We're sending you our thoughts and prayers. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of scientists now who have moved beyond thoughts and prayers. Yeah. And I'm not against thinking, yeah. and I'm not against prayer. Yeah. But... Uh, 
to write it off as that. And I'm afraid people of faith do that way too easily. Mm-hmm. Let's tell God about it and forget about it ourselves. That's so profound. And I, I love what you just said there about thinking about you know, use that biblical phrase, the sins of the the previous generation. And we think about just sort of the inherited responsibility to carry on the work that's handed to us. And I can't help but wonder, as we sit at this moment, um, and and you're sort of, you know, leaving, handing some responsibility to the CAC. And, uh, and, and also, I love, as we're talking about ecology and science, one of the things I love about the New Dean of the Center for Action and Contemplation, Brian McLaren, is that he does bring a lot of ecology and science into his teaching. He's much better educated than I am. I have to quote other people, because I got little education in science. I had biology and chemistry. That's about all. They're good. Well, how do you, Richard, what are you most excited about? uh, And how does it feel to see this transition to Brian stepping into the role of Dean and to see Dr. Barbara Holmes and James Finley and the the team here at the center sort of carrying that work forward. Great excitement. My job now is how can I back them up, encourage them, uh, but I don't have to take the lead in saying it because I know they'll say it better and for now, now. I mean, 10 years ago, news is already old news. We've got to talk to right now which is what I was learning from Amos this morning. He dealt with his probably just 10 to 20 year period of what he saw happening. And he addressed his prophecy to that. Right. You know, we've got to do the same thing with our lifetime. Uh, it's, yeah, I appreciate Richard. There's so much, there's so much bad news. There's so much challenge mm-hmm. facing people alive on the world right now. And I appreciate hearing you seeing all that and acknowledging it and somehow holding it with joy and hope, it seems. It really does seem like you've made that transition to the path of the prophet. I like your continued use of the word appreciate. An appreciator is a contemplative. In fact, you become an all-day appreciator. Nice. Yeah, of little things, of everything. So keep using it. Right on. Keep appreciating. It's such a gift for us to get to spend time with you. It's such a gift for us to let people get a a sneak peek of what it's like to spend time with you and where you're at at this point in your life. I think the last thing we would want to ask you is, would you offer a prayer for us and the listeners and everyone who wants to live your teachings forward? Right here. Yeah, let's do it. Right now. All right. God of everything. Everything, everything, no exception. Everything we've ever looked at has come forth from you. You've thrown us into this jumble and we're slowly learning that you love it all. You forgive it all. You heal it all. You accept it all. You allow it all. May we be your sons and daughters and do the same. Amen.
Our conversation with Richard will continue in the next episode, where we shift to his thoughts on the future of the work he's passing on to us, here at the center and in the lives of everyone listening, to try and co-create a world where everything and everyone might actually belong. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to this podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation, an educational nonprofit that introduces seekers to the contemplative Christian path of transformation. To learn more about our work, visit us at cac.org. Everything Belongs is made possible thanks to the generosity of our supporters and the shared work of Mike Petro, Paul Swanson, Talitha Baker, Mikkel Chevrier, Izzy Spitz, Megan Hare, Sarah Palmer, Barb Lopez, Brandon Strange, and me, Corey Wayne. The music you hear is composed and provided by our friends, Hammock. And we'd also like to thank Sound On Studios for all of their work in post-production. From the high desert of New Mexico, we wish you peace and every good. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.